welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Ohatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who used to be known as Adam Hats. <laughs> there are people who still call me Adam Hats. Um, <laughs> mainly the people who only ever called me Adam Hats. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I just, it finally happened. We it found it the finally le- all le- came together. The hat. The hat man? Something. Just, it's a type of hat. Now, um, I will, I will, I may have screwed this up because I watched that opening title sequence a couple times and like enough is, ex- enough stuff is explained that yeah. my brain couldn't quite lock on <laughs> to what they were all. trying to say. They're like, the hat man, like a man so, who wears a hat is known as the hat and then, but the hat is also an informant and I'm like, but then in English it just gets transcribed as the finger man, which also sounds pretty rough. <laughs> um, well, I'm just, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to take this podcast into a weird place right now, but I feel like somebody made an error in judgment. Yeah, probably. So uh, it's my understanding that Dulos is a type of hat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I don't know what type of hat. I'm, I'm just going on a limb and say one of the types of hats is worn in this film. The hat itself was associated with the sort of person who became a police informant to the point that uh, police informants were slangily called doulos. But here's my question. How the fuck is that possible? Uh, Listen, if you know anything about French society, it's that every job has an associated hat. (laughs) French policeman, French chef. Right. And the doulos. Like, so when you when you get a new job, they issue the hat. When you right. become a police informant, you have to wear the hat. I, it it's feels just, it's the rule of Frenchness. Like I you, mean, I'm just you, saying. You like, think because then everybody knows that they're the police informant because they've got the police informant hat on. But you're allowed to switch hats when you switch jobs. But, but, so you only have to wear French the doulos when you hats. go to. That's the issue. They just don't see hats, right? No, like, I'm just saying that, like, it's got to just be a famous situation, right? It's got to be a famous informant that was, like, I'm sure there's got to be a story, right? Because it can't be that all informants were just fucking around. was a real jerk. Well, no, but it happens, right? Like, that kind of thing, like, words become synonymous with concepts, usually through, like, a really famous person doing it. Like, somebody who really notoriously did this thing i'm just saying that because like think about the hitler mustache for a minute there were a lot of germans rocking the hitler mustache before adolf but guess what that is now that's synonymous with fascists right i'm just saying i'm not that's not a perfect one-to-one i did very much go straight to nazis i'm sorry my point is is that like there's got to be a reason because, like, there's no way every informant just have to be happen to be tooling around in the same hat. And they're like, well, when you're an informant, culturally speaking, you sort of get this weird feeling, like, man, I really need to wear a hat. What's the best hat for a man of my stature? That one. And they all pick the same hat. No, don't fucking. Dulos <laughs> like, is apparently slang just for hat. But like, okay, which, which makes like, even less sense because obviously not everyone who wore a hat in France. <laughs> So that just means every info- like again, it's just got to be a famous example that like really stuck in the sort of you know the the zeitgeist, right? Because like like everybody was wearing hats. It's like nineteen fifties and sixties France. 
It's just all hats all the way down. There wasn't a single right. person in this movie, a single man in this movie, who wasn't wearing a hat. Yeah. Literally, it was 100% hats. So, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like, it's like, well, I noticed something, guys. Did you notice all the informants? They were all wearing hats. And they're like, then they all look at each other and it becomes that Spider-Man meme. Because they're all wearing hats when they're talking about <laughs> right. it. So I don't, I don't pointing at each other in the hat. Yeah. So um, I'm just saying, I, it doesn't make any sense. This is the it was the most confusing, possibly one of the most confusing title cards that I've ever seen in a movie. Right. And we've watched some pretty wild movies. I was like, I watched right. it like, what? 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 If there's one thing we've we can come to associate with Melville, it's opening title cards that don't make any sense. Yeah, that, okay, good point. Good point. Um, so, so there's that. Uh, I would also like yeah, to point I don't out. Know. Oh, like, I don't know. I I am unfamiliar with the origin of mid-century French slang, so I don't know why Dulos is slang for hat. Specifically, mid-century French, like gangster slang, specifically. Right? Um and. Yeah. And again, as as there's one thing we've learned about Melville, uh, it's that he probably made all of this up. Yeah, also true. <laughs> Absolutely. It, it, like, it literally, this could all be a lie. 100%. <laughs> right. But if he tries uh, hard enough, maybe he could, like, the secret into it existence. It, the secret right. it into existence. That's, that's what he wants maybe to do. Maybe after 1962, everybody did call police informants hats. <laughs> Right. Like we don't know. I mean, I literally just have not enough information for this. God, what if you were, like just in France and you just like you just were it, this is true and you just happen to stumble upon this really specifically very strange bit of knowledge. <laughs> like that's got to be a wild ride. They're like you're an exchange student and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that's a you got a nice hat, nice hat, and then the person just gets real quiet. Like, yeah, exactly. Just sort of <laughs> stares at you like, what do you know? It's like, you feel like you would find that information really quick. Hats are just unconscious in France. Yeah. Not not only can't other French people perceive them, but no one actually remembers putting one on. <laughs> right. No, yeah. Like, uh, hats, hats both exist, and yet, yeah, no, they're t- it's like some sort of weird brain worm where nobody can remember yeah. or see hats. And then as soon as, a, as, a, as soon as a person from outside comes in and knows it's a hat, everybody gets real... Real freaked out. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm not worried about that, motherfucker. <laughs> Back off. Everybody starts pulling guns on each other. I don't know. I, I Now I have a very weird image of France. It, you should. France is a weird place. Before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you get access to a bonus episode. We do a non-criterion film. We put up a poll so you can vote on what that movie's going to be. We uh, accept uh, suggestions on what polls should be from our from our supporters. So 
if you want, if you have a particular movie that's outside of the Criterion Collection that you want us to watch, this is a good way to do it. Just yeah, one dollar a month gets uh, gets our ear. Uh, like to be honest, we very rarely have ideas. So like, right. you suggest ideas something, are hard. there's a good chance it's just going to happen. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, now there is also a chance that because it's a poll situation if you have a particular movie you want us to watch you're still going to have to advocate for it you're still going to have to overcome the insurmountable odds that uh the rest of our supporters just vote for uh kazam which is always a choice right the 1996 children's movie starring shaquille o'neal as a genie i Uh, think i think i mean we've hinted at this that like oh if you suggest a list you might be on it i think we need to make this a hard and fast rule you suggest a oh, list. Yeah. You're on. Even if Kazan win, Kazam wins, <laughs> right, you're on. Right. And guess what? Based on the new rules we created for Kazam, you're on for every Kazam episode after that. <laughs> right. We Kazam do have a lot of unspoken rules grows. we should just write down. We'll uh, we'll put a. So watch your watch yourself. Be we'll very careful about what you suggest. We'll put a terms of service up on the Patreon of what <laughs> yeah. you're what you're agreeing to. You're legally uh, agreeing to joining us if Kazam wins, to joining us for Kazam and being on every Kazam episode from that day forward. I really just right. hope it just grows. I want Kazam to have twenty five people just talking over no, each other. No, just, as no, as, because as soon as we get to five people, it's bad. No, but so. here's think of it this way: because then it becomes its own form of art. Okay. Because we've established this rule, the the members will be voting for Kazam to make it grow. I suppose that's fair. And we will draft people further and further down our list of people we know <laughs> into such obscure <laughs> levels. We're like, this is just a person that you meet sometimes when you go to that specific grocery store. Right. Uh, Would you My like best friend be from second grade who is now my Facebook friend despite the fact that we haven't talked. Right. We'll throw like, him on. It'll be great. It'll be great. It's perfect. It, it'll be amazing. <laughs> And then no one will be able to get anything done. So it'll be just an hour of just trying to get through the <laughs> intro. Right, right. It will be a beautiful, uh, beautiful work of art. Well, that is uh, the ever-growing possibilities of the $1 tier. If you want <laughs> yeah. in on that, $1 at uh, patreon.com slash lostincriterion. A little above that, we uh, we do have some other tiers. At $5, we uh, just thank those people on air. It's a tier for people who want to give us a little extra, but... But aren't ready to commit to anything. Yeah, super don't high. actually but want. Thank mail. you, thank you so much to Stephen Goldmeyer for being our, <laughs> thank our, you. our sole five dollars supporter right now. Uh, we had quite a few other five dollars supporters, but they all popped up to ten dollars because what we're doing at ten dollars is uh, is pretty special. I'm very happy with it. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little thank you note uh, and send that off. Now, that personalized version is for $10 and above supporters, but if you want to see the past postcards, you can head over to redbubble.com, search for Lost in Criterion, and you can see all of Pat's uh, previous cards on a three-months-in-the-past basis uh, because we want to give our our $10 patrons time to enjoy being the sole recipients of these cards for a little bit. But you can buy old cards. You can see all the old cards except for the one that Toho told us we weren't allowed to sell. Yes. And uh, <laughs> you better hurry up because God only knows what else Toho might just decide to claim at some point. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, we we're, we were involved in the production of Yee Yee. <laughs> what? Ah, uh, Toho, you cards. Anyway. <laughs> oh, wow. 
Um, I will say, oddly enough, believe it or not, the most recent postcard was one of the most time-consuming I've ever done. Despite how simple oh, it sure. looks, that thing took yeah. me like I spent literally one whole day. My day off one week, I literally spent eight hours just making that card. You'll get it, and you'll be like, why did this take him eight hours? And the answer is, <laughs> I don't know. Well, if you want to know what we're talking about, you can head over to Redbubble in three months, or you can yeah. go to patreon.com slash lost and criterion and support us at ten dollars a month right now we also like to thank those ten dollar a month supporters so thank you so much to chris otto to jason westhaver to michael mcgrath patrick yako and adam speakerman our ten dollar and above supporters at this moment yes thank you please enjoy yeah, your so extra much. umbrellas yeah. thank you everyone for your support at any level and thank you for listening and you know even if you can't give us money we still appreciate your uh, your support in just downloading the file I, that's nice sometimes i get tempted to be like right here be like oh and by the way like if you feel like you want to really help us i'm gonna pull a full podcast we're gonna go full podcast head over to itunes and give us a five-star rating or review i mean if you want to do that we don't really it, look at our itunes ratings no, because what because they hurt they are painful <laughs> they, <hurt>. they are <laughs> they are it, well i mean we're in good company because literally every criterion podcast has the exact same review we have Oh, I'm sure. They're I'm all sure. three-star podcasts. They're all the exact same. Like, Listen, yeah. all of all of our first reviews on iTunes, which is why I stopped reading them, were essentially, podcast is fine, they should have me as a host. That was the subtext right. to every yeah, single yeah, yeah, review. Yeah. This guy doesn't know anything about <laughs> this, about X movie. Right. What an idiot. Right. Like, right. Well, that is the premise, first of all. Yeah. That is, that is explicitly our premise, so yes. you're not allowed to complain about that one. But... Uh, but yeah anyway patreon.com slash Austin Criterion support us iTunes reviews or whatever iTunes is calling their their podcast section now yeah (laughs) I don't know Uh, go go put five stars somewhere for something I don't know (laughs) whatever on a wall (laughs) it's like people on like fucking new egg giving our podcast five star reviews I don't know yeah whatever whatever you feel like Uh, Craigslist you know just (laughs) Just like somebody somehow gets a five star review this yeah. is an amazing podcast. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, guys. Uh, this week we are talking about another uh, another Melville film. Jean-Pierre Melville is a guy who we, we know to be ridiculous. Yep. Uh, but uh, here's, the, whatever, here's what I'm going to say, Whatever though, about Melville that. is. I, yeah. It's weird because at some point Melville fa- films became like a weird warm blanket. Yeah. Oh, that's it, good. Not in like a good way, but in the like sort of oh, like no. ah, I know this. I'm familiar with right. what's happening here. <laughs> I've seen this movie ten other times. Oh come I on, Melville mean, films like, are at least not the same thing. I don't over mean. And over again. I don't mean like the movie. They're not movie. Ozu. I don't mean <laughs> the movie. I mean like in a sort of like the the way his you like you. I feel like you could almost ju- and we've talked about this about other directors. It's like that's a that's a Melville film. Like you know what I mean? Like it's like. Like the opening credit comes, or the opening scroll come, thing comes on. We get like two minutes into the movie, like that's a fucking Melville film, right? And there's right. something, it, it it's there's something weirdly. I found it this one weirdly. The first ten minutes were weirdly relaxing for me. I was like, oh, I've been here before. I will, I will say the opening of this movie, the the opening credit sequence of this movie is my favorite Melville film. Yeah, I can see Just, that. Yeah, I can. I can the I can titles see that. flying all over. 
uh, Maurice walking through the darkened alley. I, I'm uh, a sucker under for bridges. people walking through dark it's alleys. It's very man. I am the just long tracking shot. It's very good. It's all very very good. I love it so much. Uh, we have a history of having complicated relationships with Melville. Absolutely. Uh, but Rouge, we should probably go back and re-record at some point because we were both super dismissive of it. Um, well, I mean, I the samurai for its for other reasons. I I mean I will I you will never convince me to like Le Samurai but like uh for, right. for various reasons. But I, I do think probably Le Rouge we were not fair. Yeah. Uh but we, we had whatever reasons we had for it. I don't remember what right, they were. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um but Melville is just he is a very, very weird guy making uh a particular type of French gangster movie. Um where Always, everyone has to die at the end. I don't think there's yeah, a single I, Melville gangster film where I everyone doesn't of, die at the end. I, again, it's weirdly grown on me. I like that it is yeah. hardcore, just a Greek tragedy. It's like, yep, right, all Always. fucking dying. There's not a single Always. fucker making it out of this alive. They kill people in this movie who have are only tangentially related to the story. It's like, yep, that person's dead too. Like, I feel like you, there could be like, it, you know, the the scene at the end of Animal House. Where they explain what happened to everybody, <laughs> like I feel like Melville yeah. films are essentially that for like every like, and then like remember that remember that guy who worked at the bar fucking dead. Well, it's there is one aspect. What I absolutely love about Scorsese's The Irishman is that yeah. every time they introduce any peripheral gangster character, oh, know, they do a freeze frame, freeze absolutely. frame, I and pop it. up how this guy died, <laughs> completely meaninglessly. Oh, I know. It's all, yeah, totally. It's but, so but good. This, especially this, as a sort of like, I guess almost at this point in my mind, almost maybe, weirdly enough, my favorite Melville film. <laughs> right, but then again, some right. of them are so far in the past that I can't make that statement definitively, okay? Yeah. Is how much these deaths are also just totally fucking meaningless. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, just, Listen, it's amazing. It's just like people dying to, for no goddamn reason. Not to jump... Not to jump to the final sequence completely, but just the idea that if I were a hired hitman and accidentally killed the guy who hired me, why would I take payment out of his dead body coat pocket? Uh, Though he's not quite dead yet, I suppose, but take the money out of his pocket and then still hang around to kill the guy he hired me to kill. I don't know. It's like, it's like. We gangsters have a code of honor. I agreed to murder this man. <laughs> sure, the person who cares about this man being murdered is no longer alive. But I'm and that's going also to, my fault. I'm going to <laughs> odd job behind this screen, basically, and like right. stumble out Frankenstein's monster-esque <laughs> after being shot five times. It's so weird. Just because everyone has to die at the end. <laughs> no, but it's, it's a beautiful premise. Like, well, these fuckers all have to die, so we just have to cook up how what pointless death will get them it's i mean i guess gene makes it out that's i guess that, i don't know how you're supposed to say this man he doesn't get murdered Jean, he just goes to jail usually, forever but, right right he's definitely going to jail i mean he did commit murder so he you know like it's just it, i guess we, we see, and it's kind that. of giddy about having committed that murder too so yeah he's a little so weird there's about that it. aspect i i mean all I'm saying is that, that maybe that was a Melville oversight that Jean didn't die. That they didn't right. come up with some way. Like, and then like it just the last scene of the movie is just that police car getting in a car accident. I don't know. 
something. <laughs> just to, just to wrap it up and really bow tie the whole thing. Some part we didn't see. Um, <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. I mean, oh, we man. didn't watch the Criterion it, version. Maybe it's in the Criterion version. That's fair. I watched the Studio Canal version, though, so it, 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 Mine, it probably I, what, the same. What did you end up watching yours on? Did you not watch it on? The, oh, I you just, watched it on Canopy? I watched it on Canopy. Yeah, yeah. see, my version had no intro. Uh, yeah. had no, no studio intro at all. Right. I think mine Unfortunately, was this movie was not release. on Criterion Channel, and we didn't realize that at a late enough date that we had to find other ways to uh, to stream it. Normally, what happens there is we end up just buying the DVD, right? Um, <clears throat> but uh, but it was we noticed late enough that buying it was was out of the question. Yeah. Um, I, I almost bought it, and we ended up right before I was basically yeah. about to commit to that. Adam found it on Plex's free streaming service. <laughs> Which has like, literally every Melville film, by the way. Basically, every Melville film's on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good to know. Good to know. Um, it will be unsurprising for you to learn that uh, <laughs> yes. Quentin Tarantino loves this. Cites film. this as a major inspiration of for course he does. Reservoir Dogs. In fact, it's just kind of lowered my opinion of this movie a little bit. Now I'm down uh, on it. Now I'm negative about I'm this sorry. movie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, just think about think about this movie and Reservoir Dogs. I know you've seen Reservoir Dogs. It's oh, I have. I have. <laughs> I know you watched that I, in college I was, every other day. I was 16 years old at one point in my life. <laughs> That's fair. I have. I have um, seen Reservoir Dogs. But just the just like I can I can definitely dismissively compare this to Reservoir Dogs. Like it's 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 very violent. Everyone dies, and there's just so much talking. So much, yeah. so much yeah. talking. Absolutely. And then they drive around a little bit, and then there's more talking, and occasionally there's more shooting, and that's Reservoir Dogs, and yeah, that's this that's, movie. You're at, you're <laughs> right. Not, not, no disagreement here. That was very uh, exciting me for me when I was 17. <laughs> I was very right. into that. You're like, oh man, people can drive places, and then <laughs> shoot people. Like I don't know. There's something. <laughs> Reservoir Dogs is just one of those weird movies where it's like when you're that age where you're watching it. It feels so, like, transgressive and, like, exciting. And then in hindsight, it's like, boy, right. that was just a lot of nothing, huh? But also, when you live in semi-rural Ohio, driving and sitting in diners is just about all you can do with your free time. Right. That so. is your, already your life. You, somebody, this, is a more, this is a slightly escalated version <laughs> of your life. Right. And occasionally you hang out in a warehouse. Usually it's because there's a Christian rock show going on. Right, but, right. Or so, <laughs> yeah, somebody's, somebody is trying to recruit you. To something <laughs> right. that you should right. probably say no to, and your parents should probably be protecting you from. Yeah, but they're probably uh, somehow involved. <laughs> it does happen, uh, but yeah, um, the uh, at the end of the title sequence, we or I, I suppose before we go into the actual title sequence, but right after that introductory paragraph that is <laughs> that the most increasingly, I have read. decided, is fake information about the word it's Dolos. It's got to be. It has to be. <laughs> I think I think Melville's clearly fucking with us. He clearly noticed <laughs> right. that all of his characters were wearing hats and was like, I have an <laughs> <Right>. idea. <laughs> I, love, I love how the Wikipedia page uh, also seems to suggest <laughs> that, that it might be fake. Uh, because their intertitles at the beginning of the film explain that its title refers both to a kind of hat 
and to the slang term for the police for police informant. Right. It doesn't. Which it doesn't just, definitively make that statement because it can't find right. a, a source for that information right. either. It's like, well, the movie explains this. <laughs> yes, the movie says it, and in article, the citation for that sentence is, uh, in the review for Le Samurai from Sight and Sound in 1968. <laughs> oh no! Like, which is, and it's probably like, it's probably. <laughs> And that sentence is, is probably like, well, just like in Le Dolos, where this claim was made, Le Samurai opens with a fake quote. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, exactly. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, this movie predates right. it. So, like, making a reference to the title card, it wouldn't even have to, like, it wouldn't, to be quoted in that position based on what is said in the sentence on Wikipedia... It wouldn't have to do nothing other than the article would have to do nothing other than mention the fact that this paragraph is at the beginning of Lady right, right, Like right. it wouldn't have to like many any factual statements about it. It could just be like, uh, as we all remember, the samurai also starts with a title <laughs> card, which is how Ledolos also begins containing information. Like and the information right, right, was right. blah blah blah. And it's like, well, we can cite that. That's accurate. Yes. And now 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 Wikipedia gets to cite it. Uh, that is that is followed up with a a quote that Melville does not actually attribute as a quote uh, that says, uh, "What is it? You uh, you have to choose, die or lie," uh, which is actually from a uh, from the writings of Louis Ferdinand Céline, um, and to him it's on morals and it's about dying to self. Uh, as far as I understand it, though I've never read any Celine, so I don't actually know that. Uh, Celine apparently adds the admission that he has never killed himself, um, even metaphorically, um, which is good. Okay, uh, yeah. Celine's probably a weird guy too, but sounds like it. But the fact is, Melville doesn't doesn't cite his source on that one. Um, probably just like the way it sounded, frankly. Yeah, which is great, you know. In the Samurai, he cites his source, and it's not actually the source. So, right. Like, it's just some made-up thing about Bushido. Um, yep. No, I... There's there's a certain sort of weird audacity to Melville just making shit up. <laughs> right, right, right. I get the information that that is a quote from Celine from the uh, Criterion essay, which is written by Glenn Kenny. Um, it is possibly the only informative bit I got from the entire. Can I ask a question? I've never actually looked at any of the Criterion essays. Do any of them contain citations? Oh uh, no, 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 no. They're just uh, they're just so, blurbs. You so, know, but they, a few page. They're I meant get, for the booklet, right? Very yeah, rarely do I they get have that, and that's what's. I feel I, like I have I've had them with footnotes before, but but never. Because I get more and more weirded out by the fact that we are forced to rely on the Criterion notes that don't actually have references for me to confirm the statements that the random people in the essays make. Like, I understand oh, yeah. they're all I very mean, well-informed people, but it does feel yeah. like they can just literally say anything they want. We have found conflicting information right. where the exactly. essay says one thing and and other information about the film says something else. Uh, that has that has been something that had happened in the past. So, um, so I guess I am trusting the essay here without... Well, I mean, this isn't uh, like a mission-critical sort of piece of information right, here. Right, right. Like, Sometimes it is. This is not. Uh, I just, I sometimes, I, the more 
you know, we've been doing this long enough that this is a thing I think about sometimes in my free time, which is weird. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad. I'm, no, I don't. Not I'm even like the movies time. or, but like the meta layer of the podcast. Right, right, right. Uh, speaking of meta layers, this movie is also an example of one of my favorite things because it reminds me of of bad SNL sketches, Tunes's. To be to be clear, I am okay. always talking about Tunes's, uh, the driving cat. Uh, this movie has has rear projection that doesn't quite line up, and the cars are too big in the rear yep, projection. Yep. Which is something I always love. I really yeah. do. <laughs> Whenever it comes up, and and obviously older films, it, it happens a lot more. Um, nowadays, it's all like trailer shots anyway, instead of rear projection. But um, well, I mean, the but, thing uh, about it is, is like it it's always amazing because there's like that differential in the kind of movie it is, whether or not they shot their own footage for right. the uh, the rear projection, or they just got some some footage from somewhere. Of driving, and it's like, whoop, whoop, this doesn't match perfectly, but probably good enough. We're good. We're okay. Yeah. I don't, I, I mean, I even bet that they shot it themselves. They might they have. Just, I, it just seems it like didn't, it didn't quite line up, and I love that it didn't quite line up. It, rear projection's <laughs> amazing. I love it. Yeah. We should, we should go just, back to doing it. There is a surprising amount of good comedy in this movie, mm-hmm. of, of very fun, funny stuff that I love. Um, Melville is sometimes good for that little, little tiny jokes and things I can remember that we've talked about previously. Yeah. But, uh, but this one just lays it on a little heavier than, than normal. Yeah. This one's Uh, a little bit more, feels a little bit more like purposely pastiche than some of the other ones do. And I kind of like that. It really does. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously all of Melville's gangster stuff and, and all of the other, French gangster stuff of the 60s, the the new wave guys getting into the gangster movies. They're pastiche of American gangster films. Right. Universally. Um, but, like, it's but whether or not them, you lean into it or not. Like, right, like right. consciously, right? Yeah. Some of them are less pastiche and more just reference, right? Right. Uh, and, and the distinction I make there is pastiche is for comedy. Right, exactly. My, That's in, what I'm saying, too. In, it's like, in my it definition. Feels like, it feels like Melville in this one is actually legitimately trying to kind of, like, I want to do a pastiche of American gangster films. This right, is going to right. be a little goofy. Yeah. Cause the, and the goofiness the is great. characters seem to be doing it, too. Like, the actors themselves seem to be smirking. Right. They're kind of a... Uh, what, who am I thinking of? Who do we always say is kind, every time he's in a comedy is kind of smirking at the screen the whole oh. time? Oh, <laughs> Robert De Niro. Yeah, Robert De Niro. And of course, because it's also a also exactly. gangster it's the man, exact Robert same thing. De Niro. But the difference is, is Robert, De Niro, Robert De Niro is oftentimes the only one in the movie doing that. Right, right. Whereas Robert this one, De Niro's like, hey, I'm, like, I'm Robert De Niro in a comedy. Any great. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> here, it kind of feels like most of the main characters right. are all doing the same sort of thing. Right, right. Well, <laughs> listen. Jean-Paul Mel- Melmondo always has that. That is that also true. It is almost look on his from his regular anyway, face. Right. Yes. That is probably part of the problem is that like I now just associate that <laughs> face with that that thought process. Right, right. It always looks um, like he's he's kind of fucking around. But yeah. There is a lot of great like when they when they get to the rich guy's house and and he's like is this a robbery and they they say no it's a, it's a surprise party it'll be a lot of fun yeah. it's it, it really made me laugh and when uh 
when Maurice is being interrogated by the cops and the cop keeps unconsciously touching his shoulder. Like there's not even after the first time where Maurice noticeably winces, there's not even like a, uh, attention call to it. It just keeps right. happening though. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, there's, there's little moments of subtle comedy like that is, uh, is kind of surprising. And maybe it makes me think maybe I just missed it in other Melville films. It's possible. Although <laughs> it I, I mean, I kind of try, like, it's hard to remember too. It's been so right, long. Right. It like, I mean, that is a problem we do run into with this podcast in general is that we're, the way things are spread out in such a weird way, like, I don't remember what we said about most of the Melville films we've watched. Like, I right. just don't. Um, and there's not much I can do about that. It, it Like, it might be true about them, and maybe I need to go rewatch them, but, like, then we get into this weird sort of, like, recursive version of this podcast where every time I watch a film by a director we've already watched I have to watch all the other films it's like well this right, is not. right and just slowly build <laughs> yeah this yeah. is going to kill that's me that's not going to happen um, and so like I don't know what we said about the other Melville films I mean I think I feel like either we miss but like here's the thing comedy's not a thing that we're going to miss right like we're not like we're we are dense people let's be clear here but I'm not going <laughs> to miss that, that people are making jokes. Like, right. and I don't remember there being this many jokes. Yeah. So, I don't yeah, know. I agree. When was the last time? Oh, so we did know. Bob, Bob Flambeau was pretty early. That was number 150. Uh, Le Cercle Rouge was 216. Uh, Le Samurai, 305. Uh, 306, actually, I think. Uh, we did Army of Shadows at 385. That was... No, Les Enfants Terribles um, was, I think, our, our most recent one. Uh, and even that was, was 398. That was, you know, nearly a year ago. Um, right. Uh, we will have another one next week. That's the first time we've ever done back-to-back Melville. Uh, and we have a few more in the future. Yeah. A good. A good... Uh, just a couple, actually, right now. But, well, I mean, this is not a person with an enormous filmography, okay? Like, right, impactful, but not enormous. That's fair. That's fair. Like, I mean, we're not talking about a Japanese director who has 75 films for us to watch in theory that at some point the Criterion Collection will try to acquire all of. Yeah. <laughs> It's just what they do. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's that that's the thing, right? Is it just has to do with like the kind of director and the like the sort of like situation they were in for film production, right? Like most directors of a certain type from certain places were studio directors and had to make a million films, right? And then sometimes you're a French New Wave director and you have to make f- whatever number floats your boat. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I I am kind of disappointed that, that this DVD is out of print and we couldn't get it, uh, even if we had the time to get it by the time we noticed. Um, and also not being on the Criterion channel, because usually the Criterion channel has all the bonus features. There is a bonus feature on this that is a video inter- interview with uh, Volker Schlondorf and Bertrand Trevernier, uh, two other directors who we've seen movies from. Right. Uh, but Schlondorf was assistant director on this film. Oh, and Trevernier was the publicity agent for the oh, film. Oh, weird. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, and and obviously with the French New Wave, it's a very insular, <laughs> like everybody right helped yeah, out talked everybody about else. We've talked about that in the past, uh, <clears throat> particularly at the at the very start. This is maybe even a little late for that, but but yeah, it's uh, it would have been interesting to 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 get those bonus features. I you know we'll have to keep an eye out, see if this ever comes back into comes back into print. Yeah, I mean, weirdly <laughs> enough, I can buy it at like standard msrp here it's just like oh interesting yeah because uh i mean it's not the criterion version though it's a i see i see it's a it's a fr- it's a japanese like uh pressing of print of it yeah. yeah well i'm sure uh, the Criterion's out of print i'm, I'm sure right. it's available elsewhere right like i said the uh, I, yeah i don't think i can i don't think yeah the canopy I mean, version is branded studio canal and occasionally criterion puts out studio canal pressings but right. uh but Studio Canal is their own distribution company, so right. it's probably probably okay. available. Maybe I can get the Criterion Collection. I don't know, actually. But but yeah, it would have been interesting to see that and oh, no, and, and hear those other 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 directors who uh, you know we at least have experience with. Schlondorf's a, a great director. Travernier. I don't know that I I know we've seen a Travernier film, but I can't actually think of any of them. <laughs> Hey, you want to know something fun? I just looked at yeah. the actual, looked closely at the the Japanese version. As far as I can tell, the name of the movie is Dog, just Dog, just Dog. I, I, yeah, I mean, it might be something else, and I just don't know the word as a as a homophone to that to that word. But yeah, that's good to know. That's very good to know. Just in case you ever wanted um, to know what this movie is called in, in Japanese, it's Dog. It is better than Finger Man. <laughs> Accurate. It is better than Finger Man. Almost anything is better than Finger Man. Oh yeah, I think the only Travernier we watched is Coup de Torsion, um, which is a significantly later film than this, right, uh, right? By like a decade and a half, I think, even more. It's 1981. Um, uh, I am discovering that Travernier has a has a movie that I don't know if it's in the collection, but it is called Daddy Nostalgia, and I'm. Ooh, okay, <laughs> not not going to be interested in that. Um, <laughs> now I have a question for you, Adam. Speaking okay, of, kind of keeping this the way we've been doing this today. Why don't we want to talk about this movie? <laughs> we don't want to talk about this movie because of our experience with other Melville films. Suggests that if we talk too much about this, we'll talk ourselves into hating it. Yeah, that's accurate. And we yeah, don't. Yeah, right. We yeah. don't want we to don't hate want to it. Do it. Yeah, we don't want to do that. That makes sense. And it's actually and and you know I worry that that's going to happen, but I do really love a lot of this movie. There are some things of this movie I don't like. Uh, and you know, you you said you came around to the everyone dies at the end thing. I've never liked that about any Melville film. I've never liked that about I, any gangster film. I don't. I don't like any like narrative. It. I don't like any narrative where the main character dies at the end. Um, and I appreciate that it's not the main character who's trying to make a better life and die at the end. It's just our peripheral background. Uh, well, plot that's guy. a weird thing right? because we almost switch protagonists because he is the plot movie. guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Cillian is the the entire reason anything happens in this movie right. throughout it. Um, I really do like the plot of this movie. Mm. The fact that it's just called The Informant, uh, as far as the movie itself tells us. 
Right. And we don't, it leads us and our main character to believe one person is the informant. And then we get this reveal on who the real informant is and that this one person actually was doing good for our main character, but then our main character has already screwed him. Yeah. Uh, uh, Well, see, I... You know, that actually is good. I do like that. I I I admit. Right. And that's, I think, why I like this one is because it's not your sort of... It is not exactly your sort of standard gangster ends... The movie ends with us all with our guns pointed at each other because we've all betrayed each other. It's more complicated than that. It feels more like... uh, it feels more Greek tragedy than the standard gangster right, movie right, where we're all right. just got our guns pointed at each other. It's like, oh, we all misunderstood each other. We've essentially just Romeo and Julieted ourselves all to death, um, which I kind of like. Um, I especially like it because it just is so pointless. I I, I think there's it needs to. I I think the reason I like it is because there's essentially no tension in it. Right. (laughs) Like, whenever you have those standoff moments in a gangster movie or something, it's meant to amp the tension to, like, 11, right? You're all supposed to be like, oh, what's going to happen? Like, are they all going to shoot each other? What's going to... Or they're all hunting each other, you know. It's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a game of cat and also cat or whatever to to quote a (laughs) shitty uh, uh, Family Guy thing. But like, I those I don't like that because it is it's weirdly glorifying, right? About that. Right. This I like it. I think because I also like the Scorsese thing in the in the Irishman because it's like this is stupid. You're all dead because it's stupid. And you're welcome to what be- happens for being stupid right. with guns. Yeah, you're all dead because you're stupid with guns, and and in this particular instance, you're you're and and so often with other gangster stuff too. You're all dead because you're obsessed with some perceived slight from the past, or or actual slight from the past. Right. But the fact that you're obsessed with the past, and even our main character, even even, well, certainly our main character, but even uh, even uh, Belmondo's character, Cillian is obsessed with the past to a certain extent, right? right? You know, he he frames the the other nightclub owners as the murderers of the fence because they are they took his girlfriend and are are maybe ambiguously holding her against her will, but right. that's even kind of unclear. Um <laughs> it's mostly just revenge for that. But he's got this whole process of he's going to get out. Uh and he's got this big long thing of of also getting his the one person in the world he likes apparently other than the dead cop, uh, he's gonna get that guy out right. too, um, or at least put him in a better position. Uh, but because he feels like he owes him, because because Cillian own feels like he owns Maurice, owes Maurice, uh. And you know it's good to have those social connections, of course. But, but that is the only reason his plan, his plan to get out does not work, because he he feels like he has a tie to one guy who's still in the system, right? right. Um, and goes to just <laughs> crazy ends to <laughs> to get that guy out. Yeah, of the no, system. it's like really like, like it's like wow, it's a you're convoluted really, plan. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> And like, and uh, I think it's because I think you just get down to this weird thing where like, 
the the viewpoint that I take into the movie matters a lot for the way I receive it, right? And I've always come into me- these Melville films like generally trying to regard them as somebody trying to do s- quote unquote air quotes serious gangster movies, right? Right. And right. maybe I'm not supposed to. Maybe that maybe I was wrong the whole time. But this one, because I kind of almost immediately read it as a sort of semi-comedy, I was like, well, yeah, of course this plan is stupid and shouldn't work. The opening opening credits help us because they're kind of Saul Bassy a little bit. I mean, obviously they're not fully animated, so they're not Saul Bass, but... But the the way the titles are flying around is a little soul bassy, and it's fun, and it establishes a fun atmosphere through the rest of this film. Right. Whereas the opening of Les Samurai, it's absurd, but it's dourly absurd, right? Right. Yeah. Well, and that and, <laughs> and that just, matters, right? It, like that. It yeah. puts it puts me in a mindset when I first see the Samurai, where I think it's being serious in its presentation and i i did the same thing and i and i don't think i i don't know maybe if i watched it again i could reverse that but like i read the samurai as serious from moment one right like in hindsight i think the premise i it is stupid but (laughs) right but you know it's how you view stupid right like if you're like oh this is stupid on purpose and it's supposed to be funny that's one thing if you're like, well, this is stupid because somebody thought they could like make this thing that they shouldn't have tried to make. Well, that's and I guess bad. Even in hindsight, looking back at it, you know, thinking about the, the biggest tension scene in The Samurai that comes to mind, thinking about the movie, uh, is when he's going through that big ring of keys to find the one that's going to start the car he's trying to steal right. while the policeman walks down the street toward him. And it's a huge piece of suspense but it's also a patently absurd scene, right? Because he's right. got this key ring with a hundred keys on it that he's right, going right. through. So, so even that's even that is funny if you right. look at it from the right perspective, right? Right. And then like so, so maybe like I'm willing to admit that we've read Melville wrong. Like with regards to like what he's trying to do. Right. Where all of this is parody, some of it's just much deeper parody that we're not catching. Yeah, yeah. We're like May or or just like you know you walk into the room and you sit down to watch the movie and what you bring into it like matters a lot and you're like you know I prejudged and maybe I'm like I should not have prejudged I'm willing yeah. to admit that but somehow this one clicked in that direction and it's like well yeah this is a comedy basically yeah and I guess I can't even completely blame the movie itself because I think uh, we had Adam Speakerman as a guest last week. And, and it's a phenomenal episode. If you didn't listen to it, go back. Uh, but when we mentioned what movie was, was coming up, he said, oh, that's a fun one. And I think it might have might have triggered something in my head to actually it's view possible. Melville as fun. Yeah, maybe. Instead of- <laughs> I, I would believe it. Like, I mean, but yeah. that's the thing, right, is that, like, that's also the risk of doing everything the way we do things, which is, like, we, right, we right, are right. absent certain levels of context. Partially because we don't know anything about anything. Um, I don't know my my ass from a hole in the ground. (laughs) And then you combine that with the fact that we watch some of these movies like five years apart. Right. Like if you just sat down and binge watch Melville, maybe you would like pick up on it a couple movies in and be like, oh, these are. This is what? This is our fifth Melville in the course of eight years. Right. Exactly. We're doing them what? Like once every two years. It's like. Right. That's not a good way to pick up on subtleties in a what what right. we have picked right. up is 
broad strokes about like film in general. Yeah. What we now don't pick up is, is is things about specific directors, unless they just kind of get beaten over. Our, we get beaten over the head with right. them. And it's it's interesting that it it particularly is that the Circle Rouge and the Samurai just feel so dour in their presentation. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And maybe it's dour enough that 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 itself is part of some sort of meta joke. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but like Bob Le Flambeau is is certainly a a fun movie. Yeah, like, and we recognize that when we watch that yeah. one, we recognize that that one was right. a goofy right. movie. Right, and it's meant to be, and it's not just goofy because it's some french guy making a movie about gangsters he knows nothing about right um it's also just goofy goofy and this movie is goofy in a lot of ways it's also violent in a lot of ways and there's there's overt violence and there's people bragging about doing overt violence uh and there's scenes that because we lack the context of of plot that we're going to get later on that seem much more menacing than than maybe they are, or or are just differently menacing than maybe they are. Right. Like when when Cillian comes into the apartment uh, with uh, with Therese, we don't know what's going to happen, but it definitely he is framed in that moment as a bad guy attacking right. this woman for no reason to get information that he we are led to believe he then passes along to the police. Well, and then the next half hour of the movie is him denying that he passes along that information to the police. And then we find out that he killed the woman because she was the informant. Right. Right. Which, which is interesting because it puts us in a really interesting place as the audience. Right. Because we recognize him as the bad guy at the beginning for doing at, at that part, for doing this thing that we see on camera. Right. And then I don't know if Melville's goal is to do this. I kind of suspect no, but then we're forced to confront the fact that, he did this, quote unquote, as a good guy, but this is still an inherently bad action. Right, right, right. You still, still did murder, and he like, did a wor- he did a murder. He yeah, like kill. that's and I don't again. I don't know if Melville wants us to do that. I can't tell, but that's right. certainly what I do. Which is, well, this man is a bad man. Like, still, this is right. a bad man. Right. This is a bad person. Uh, he believes himself to be a good person, but he is a bad person. Right, and to that extent, I guess. You know, as as the bad guy, he can't have a happy ending because he's still a bad guy. So I guess there's maybe that. And then that's I the do, thing, right? They're all bad guys. Right. right. They're all it's bad all, guys. It's bad guys all the way down. There's no good but guys. But even bad guys in inescapable situations, it is still fun to watch them actually make an escape, right? Yeah, um, I mean, I like that, too. I Like yeah. I said, I don't usually go in for the everybody dies thing, but something about this one, click, that, that the hitman, yeah. like, Frankenstein monstering out of that behind that screen and then the way that whole scene goes off I don't know why but I really enjoyed that scene it was just so stupid everybody just died in such a stupid way right and the scene prior to that just ratchets it up this whole he's about to enjoy this idyllic existence but we know we know as the audience already that he's walking into a trap right? right So, or at and least then the very possibility a of a trap. Maybe he escaped the trap, and, and that's a fun right. little, like, quick yeah. couple of reversals that they pulls on us. It's just, and that's that's the other part of this movie, just the amount of reversals. Oh, it, yeah, no. It's to the to the point where it's like charade. It should be an overt comedy pastiche. Right, but it's I not, think that's part of what right? we, and that, that's yeah. probably what we're playing into, is that, like, mentally, we're like, holy crap, there's, like, there's too many, there's, there's too many... Like, like, you know, ands or buts, 
<laughs> right, right. To be right. a serious story. Right. Like because life it's it's exceeded the capacity of life to do that where it's like but actually I I'm secretly uh, like yeah. <laughs> I'm secretly lurking for MI6 or something. <laughs> it feels like the movie's going right, to do that so right, like right. it's like it feels like it could do that and it's like okay, I mean whatever you say movie. I don't <laughs> you're the one in charge. Whatever. <laughs> just imagine an ending to this movie where the camera pans out and it's all a soundstage and just for no reason we just establish that this is narrative in universe. Um, oh, yeah. No, yeah, totally. Yeah, I can. <laughs> it's anything. Like, and, and, you know, I think I think that those other movies we talked about don't didn't hit us that way because they didn't remind us of some of the stupider movies you and I have watched right. in our lives for fun. And I think I think part of this movie is is literally there's so much twisting going on that by the time we get even halfway into it, literally anything could happen in this movie and we'd just be on board with it. Yeah, you're just like, that's <laughs> fine. Yep. Okay, yeah. sure. Like and you and you find things out like off screen often enough too, where it's like right. The movie's just telling you a thing happened without like right. knowing the thing happened. So not, you're like, ah, not shit, often whatever, enough man. that nearly always. <laughs> I, I I was being generous. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, she's dead. She died in a car crash. You're like, wait, what? I, I I this is the first I'm hearing of it. And then and the whole yeah. movie's just that. And like and yeah. then like you know our main bat like our you know, uh, it's just everybody's just doing that all the time. It's like right, and right. It, so it's like it's that game that you play with your friends, uh, where you're like, I forget like how the game always works, but it's like where they're like, well, I'm going to use my like, you know, where it's sort of like the sort of children's version of rock paper scissors, where it just keeps escalating. Where you're like, well, <laughs> yes, actually, yes, yes, yes. I'm going to use this this rocket ship, and then it's like, well, actually, right. I've got this Death Star. It's like, well. Fine, yeah. we can do this forever. Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, and it's just very silly. Like, Cillian's a great character, and his interaction with even the extended, like, police interrogation sequence with him, where it's him, you know, and we see him getting new information and sort of putting together what's going on, even as, mm-hmm. as the police are trying to get information from him because they're not very good at their jobs. Um, and, you know... I guess at that point we we don't know his motivations and obviously there's a movie that on a second view everything makes a little more sense. Um it's probably honestly probably not as much fun in some ways, right? Because right. you're just like but well, also, now I know right, why all right, this right. dumb stuff's happening. Yeah. Yeah. But like the the restaurant sequence where he and Jean are are explaining everything to Maurice is just like it's all exposition yeah no it's a hundred percent exposition the whole film is just exposition it's amazing. here's why your why your point of view has been wrong for the entire movie I'm going to tell you all the stuff that happened off screen as character um, yep. and we'll do some flashbacks so so you can still see it happen it's fine and uh yeah and then, and then Maurice just accepts that as truth yeah no and, and uh, the thing is is like we as the audience accept it as true because they showed it to us Right. But like Maurice has no reason to accept any of what he's being told. It could all just be bullshit. But like right. you get the impression that like and that's where like Maurice becomes this very weird interesting stand-in for the audience where it's like he's going through a similar experience to what we are was like fine whatever man I don't know. I don't fucking know. Right. It's like 
you get this sort of like plot. Maurice as a character gets this weird sort of plotting nature where he's sort of just just drifting through the world to a certain extent. He expresses right. some right. sort of action at the beginning when he kills uh, Gilbert. But then after yeah. that, like, he gets picked up not of his own recourse. And, like, we don't even see him hire the hitman, so it kind of, like, removes that agency. To, you know, we do see it, but, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's very right, 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 silly right, and right. obtuse. I, I don't know. It's not exactly plotting through the world, but it has a certain sort of – you kind of get this impression, at least I do, that, like, Maurice kind of doesn't care if he lives or dies. Right. Which adds right. this And we also don't even get – we don't get his motivation for that first murder until after it happens. So yeah. we're not even completely on board with his with his revenge stuff from the beginning. Right. And we see him we see him enact that first action before we know uh that he had some sort of noble reason for doing it or whatever. Right, quote unquote. Um, yeah. But but see that's the interesting thing which brings up a weird point, right, though, is that sorry, I, I may have just I'm sorry if I interrupted you. I No, go ahead. I, it brings up an interesting point because we get into the same question where, like, I don't know what Melville's trying to accomplish with that. I don't know if he's, A, trying to make us, like, reevaluate our opinion of this person or if it's to do the sort of thing we were talking about where it's like, no, he's still bad. You you know the motivation, but guess what? Like, you still already formed your opinion about him. He's still bad. By not giving us the reasons for the actions until after they've do- been done – I don't know if the goal is to try to make us reevaluate, which I'm not going to do because it's still murder, or if it's to make us do that and be like, well, it doesn't fucking matter now, man. I already, I already decided you are a bad guy. Yeah. I, I don't know what the goal is. I don't know what Melville's going after, but. You know what? What's maybe interesting here, and maybe another thing that sets it apart from, from the samurai, the New York Times review of this in 64 was dismissive of it. Okay. And it was dismissive of it because it says, it says, quote, there's not much to recommend the picture, which is one of those feeble attempts to be philosophical and mordant about crime as a chosen career. And I feel that accurate describes my feelings on the Circle Rouge in particular and the yeah. Samurai to a certain yeah. extent, but I don't feel like it describes this movie. Right. That's I, I don't. I'm in the same ballpark. Yeah. 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 I don't feel like this movie is trying to be philosophical about about crime. I feel like it's just being weird. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like, and I think that's probably why you and I like it, like, yeah, a little bit better. Is it's not making me. It's not trying to make make me go. Oh well, you know, like, I, yeah, I I don't want yeah. to be forced to do that by by my film and I guess by by avoiding that but then again maybe it is maybe you and I are reading this one wrong and it's like actually right right, right. Melville does want me to like reevaluate the motivations for all these characters and try to like see if I can morally justify them and would I do this in the same situation like yeah. maybe that's what he wants because I have no idea but as yeah. far as I'm concerned this is a comedy movie well, it is. I mean, it's also a movie that starts out with, with a quote that says, "You either lie or you die," and then everyone lies and dies throughout the entire thing. Right. So true. Very true. Uh, yeah. So like that's even that's not a philosophical exploration of lying or dying or even the consequences of a life bad lived. Uh, it's just it's just so, another weird thing on it. Right. Right. But now I submit this. We may get. 
maybe maybe Melville is like the ultimate Tommy Wiseau in that he actually <laughs> succeeded. Like what if uh, what if don't like, say things like that too loud, Pat. We well, we have an audience still. I'm gonna get murdered. No, I mean <laughs> I'm just saying think about it because like there's something also very funny about a thing being very funny. Right. But like it being made with the sort of like very specific serious intentions but it coming out funny but then there's an extra layer of it's not taken as being funny most of the time and it's actually taken as being serious i don't know i'm getting i'm confusing myself it's like nine layers deep is our problem with the circle rouge that we believe everyone else earnestly likes it when everyone else just likes it because they think it's dumb it's possible is is that what you're saying yeah (laughs) you need to consider that possibility we're not getting it that we didn't get it. Um, that that everybody else understands. Like we watched Birdemic like a serious <laughs> film on accident, and everybody Oops. else was like, "What did you do?" Um, yeah, that's a possibility. It exists. Um, well, but then you get like, okay, Adam, I want to be very yeah. specific. Talk to you about something. That's a thing that happens because bad movie podcasts talk about things like Birdemic, which, like, is essentially. A, is actually essentially buying into that third that's extra meta layer. Like, right. oh, we're gonna talk jokingly about a thing that everybody already identified as a joke. So right. we must inherently be taking it serious. I don't know. I'm getting confused. I need to go lay down. <laughs> you go- I'm very confused now. You've gone too far. You've gone too far. I'm sorry. Um the, I'm just the saying Times- like you can hurt yourself yeah. real bad doing this. The New York Times talking. article uh continues. In something we don't need to talk about, but I think it's hilarious. Uh, the next sentence. Jean-Pierre Melville, who wrote and directed it, has so many scenes of mere conversation running through it. So many scenes in which plot is played in talk that one wonders why his people need firearms. They can talk one another to death. Now that's a movie I would pay to see. <laughs> talk to death? Yeah. Uh, I okay, feel like so, they okay, probably if you, exist. If you, okay, follow me on this. One of the chief arguments I've experienced as as a person in in my life against foreign films as a sort of like cultural sort of dialogue on foreign films when I was growing up is it's all talking, right? Like when when people talk dismissively about the kind of films, especially the kind of French films that we end up watching on this podcast when I was growing up, it was all it was just it's all talking. It's all just subtitles and talking. Right. Um, well, there's the extra layer that what if it's a movie where they kill with just talking? <laughs> just consider it. Yeah. We could we could uh, be multimillionaires, Adam, overnight with our movie there you go. where people talk <laughs> each other to death. I we feel like that, that movie world. almost in a, definitely what? already exists. I'm, I'm sure. I'm certain it yeah. does. Um, right. Also, I'd like to point out that like, um, we live in a world where podcasts exist, so that already right. is Talking actually a reality. Is a thing that this already exists the in reality. Uh, the, uh, when this movie was originally released, the French Censorship Commission uh, banned people under 13 from seeing it. Side uh, boob? Because, or uh, <laughs> no, no, not the okay. side boob. Uh, because, yes. because quote, in view of violent content, which may shock children. Uh, <laughs> what a what a ratings! I love I love ratings. Yeah, for things. Yeah. Just uh, 
Apparently, that classification was uh, reevaluated in 1983, and now it's passed for all audiences. It is now rated G in France, um, uh, which is delightful too. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, that that is kind of delightful. That like, I mean, technically in, ni- speaking, in 1963, that violence was shocking to children, but in 1983, the age of GI Joe. That violence is not is not shocking. I, I want that to be the justification made by the court specifically. Well, in the age right. of GI Joe. <laughs> well, I will I will say that my 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 children kept wandering in and viewing parts of this movie over my shoulder and being like, "What's this?" And I'm like, nah, "It's it's a movie." <laughs> and it's a movie. The whole thing to you. I don't like. <laughs> there's there's no way I can catch you up right now. Yeah, so. that's basically what I told him. I was like, "Why don't you guys go play?" Because like at this point, we're too far, we're too far down yeah. this rabbit hole. Um, yeah. Kahir's in their review of this uh, described the movie as possessing a moral reflection on truth and lies, demonstrating an extraordinary craftsman's precision, a high love of style. See that part? That part I definitely agree with. The moral reflection on truth. No, and that's lies. what I'm saying. Maybe now I'm so. getting confused because maybe we are supposed to take it serious. All right, Adam. I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> it is. It is technically a very good film. I will give it. Oh that. yeah, of course. I mean, uh, yes, it it is. It is. It is. It is a nice film to look at. Regardless, the convoluted nature of it is is so complex that. I cannot, cannot take it seriously at all. Right. Uh, well, that's the thing, right? Like, but like, what if? We, but if you're supposed to, right? Like, that's a whole other thing, right? Where it's like, well, it's convoluted. That makes it interesting. Instead of it's convoluted, that makes it funny. I don't. Right? I don't know. <laughs> right? I don't know how to wrap my head around that. Actually, I don't know what we're supposed to do yeah. with that. Um. I mean, and maybe, maybe part of me. Part of me reading it that way is just that Bellamondo, I just always it just looks like always a, like view a, as like he's telling a joke. Yeah. Well, I mean, like like our expense, our experience with him in Goddard and and Truffaut films have also been kind of jokey stuff, right? Hasn't it? Right. I mean, well, um, I'm trying to think about his entire filmography. It's it's a little bit confusing because. I I'm, I was thinking about that too, and I mean, part of, it's this at this point with him. There's so much weird, like extra levels of like context for him that it's really confusing. Right, right. Like, and there's a difference. There's a difference between him in like Breathless or A Woman Is a Woman, and him the last time we saw him uh, from Goddard in in Pierre Le Faux, which is a cartoon, right? <laughs> So. Right. And like, well, and like the fact that like something like the anime character Lupin the third is legitimately just <laughs> modeled after him. It's it right, confusing. Right, 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 like it gets right. really confusing. Like when you look at that face, the things you read into it, it's very cultural. That face is so fucking culturally complex at this point. <laughs> that it's really right. confusing. Doesn't help that the man's in eight million movies. Right. Right. Like I'm looking at his filmography. It goes on for days. Oh, yeah, forever, forever. Yeah. <laughs> Which and 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 you get into this problem where like with such a distinct face, 
every film that he's in sort of builds up a layer of character for him as a person almost, right? That he is like baggage he brings into future films, right? And then with us sort of jumping around the timeline, we don't experience him, experience him linear, linearly. We quantum leaping this guy. We have no idea where we are. We've got all the baggage of every time we've encountered him, but we're jumping all over space and time. Um, makes it even more complicated. Uh, it's and and maybe that's going to screw up because certainly with the twenty million films he's been in, we're going to keep running into him. Um, you know, right. I don't know what I don't know what that's going to do to us as we move through time here. It's, I, I, you know, I don't know. Right, right. It's 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 weird. He's eventually in a Melville film film called Magnets of Doom, which I, I know I saw maybe, that. I was like, maybe what? maybe need to watch. Yeah, um, I, if it's not on the Criterion Collection, we may just need to rig up a a uh, bonus episode. It is where we not. Get to watch it Magnets is not in the Criterion Collection because I want to no. know so bad. It's gonna it's gonna be disappointing, and I know I it is. I know, but um, I'm so interested in it. Like that title is just so yeah. weirdly provocative. Yeah. Thinking about thinking about context, though. And and maybe it is the fact that the last time I can remember seeing him was in Pierre Lefaux that makes me that makes me view even this as as some sort of comedy character to a certain extent, right? I mean Leon Morin Priest, where he plays the titular character in another Melville film that we will eventually watch, seems like it's a pretty dour drama. Right. right. But and like if that was the last time, up? like are we right. so broken at this point that yeah. we're not going to be able to read him as right serious? And I don't know. And breathless, breathless, and a woman is a woman are are Goddard comedies to an extent, but they're they're comedies that didn't really work for us because we don't like Goddard of that era, right? Uh, and, really, and yeah, no, totally. And I um, when I review those mentally, I don't feel right. like I need to reevaluate so if we, my feelings right. about them. If we had viewed one of those movies and had a different different thing in, if we had viewed one of those movies more recently and had a different image in our head of who Belamondo was as a character, maybe would we be yeah. reading this movie differently? Yeah, maybe it's really. I mean, like we 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 have turned in our in on ourselves at this point. <laughs> right, 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 right. With specifically regards to this one person. Right. <laughs> Uh, but you know we've got we've got a lot of characters in this who are who are people you know we we talked with the O'Fools movies about how they're all famous French actors and actresses who we have no idea who are because right. there's this this break of early fifties French film where where we really have less less of a wide swath you know we've got uh, besides uh, uh, what's his name he's in the second one. Uh, Jean Gabin. Besides Jean Gabin, right. we there's not a lot of French actors of that era that we recognize. But here we've right. got Belmondo, we've got uh, uh, Michel Piccoli, um, who is uh, Nathetio, the the right. uh, nightclub owner who who gets killed. You know, we've got people we know. Um, the guy who plays Maurice too is someone I recognize, but I can't. I can't. Uh, place yeah, no, him I, on, on I, I definitely. Tri- he definitely triggered like 
my my memories, and like other characters, other actors we would recognize, possibly I think from other things that we may have seen just sort of tangentially in our lives. Right, right, maybe? right. Like um, I don't know who, I don't know why, but like the guy who plays um, and this is just me being very bad at this. The guy who plays Remy is really mm-hmm. familiar as a person also, and I don't know why, but he, both Marisa and Remy both, like, made me think, wait, have I seen this person before? Right. And if right. so, where? That, and they've both also been in eight million movies, so I don't know. <laughs> right, right. They've been, they've been around enough that you, you probably saw him somewhere. Uh, He's in a 1988 movie called Let Sleeping Cops Lie. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I might. I mean, like, who knows, man? Like, who knows? It, it could be any ran. It could be just some random movie I saw one night on, like, TMC or something. How is this? The guy who plays Remy is still in four movies a year. Yeah. Like- Dude is immortal. <laughs> <laughs> he is a. I I can't even count the list. It is amazing. From the year nineteen seventy four until twenty nineteen, the man is in a, at least a minimum of two movies a year. Some of the movie twenty fifteen, he was in six. Ah <laughs> oh, man, what a guy! Yeah, I mean, you gotta say that that's pretty impressive for a person who is how old? 81 and then he would have only he would have been like what like 75 to be in right. six movies right. in a year is yeah. it's a lot it's a lot uh, yeah Dulos was his was his first movie uh well i guess it worked out for him huh yeah he was in his mid 20s when he did that um but yeah Good on him, I guess. I can't think of anything. Even scrolling through, I don't recognize anything. No, neither but do I. I also but his agree face that, you know, is super he seems, familiar. He seems familiar. So maybe but it's just some Frenchness thing about it. It's uh, possible. It's also possible that, like, again, like, with the sort of way that French new wave gangster movies get picked up almost mentally as the prototypical gangster movie to a certain extent going forward in culture and society, it's possible that some other thing was making reference to him that we saw like similar to the loop on the third sort of thing where it's like, Oh, I right, know that face right. already because I've encountered it in somebody making a reference to what a French gangster looks like. Yeah. Ugh, who knows? Who knows? Uh, yeah. Anyway, whether or not we're meant to, I find this movie silly. Uh, I think we are meant to, because I think it's meant I to be absurd. So. I hope so. Uh, and even questioning whether or not it's meant to be absurd seems like too much navel gazing for me. <laughs> well, we've already done it. It's too late. Yeah. Uh, it's just, oh man. Just them calmly explaining to Maurice all of the missing details. Yeah, the <laughs> whole plot of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I, I don't know. I normally don't like exposition, but there's something yeah. just very funny about sitting in a diner and explaining the entire plot of the thing that's happening right. to this person. Right, to them. right. It's it's just uh, everything's good. And then, you know, his whole thing with the horse and, like, getting this view of the idyllic life that he desires and is on the cusp of and then his one more job 
leads to him losing well, it. Well, do you think part of the reason why I, I I'm wondering if one of the reasons I found it so funny is that his idyllic life seems such like such a joke also. Not that like wanting to live in the countryside, but like it was like too good. Oh, that that house is incredibly nouveau riche, right? Right. You it's know what just, I mean, right? Like it felt like it's bougie it felt, to no end. It felt right? like what a child would write as the dream of a gangster trying to get away from it all. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? It felt it felt it was ridiculous. It was a ridiculous dream to me. I mean, maybe it's because I mean, to, we live in hell. I don't know. But maybe to that, <laughs> I was like, this is ridiculous. To that end, and we've already talked about the Irishman, but it's also very, uh, very Sopranos to an end, where yeah, yeah, that's where true. like that's all true. of this, all of this success for our gangster is just funneled into this uh, middle class idealism. That he owns a horse, he owns right. a statue, and a house with gold walls, and it's just right, right, so. Right. Yeah, and and to me, yeah, no, you're totally right. And the thing for me is like, there's something so funny mentally. I have I have contextualized. I want to own a horse as like maybe the funniest <laughs> like rich person dream. Yeah, in my mind, it's like it's some, Pat, something. Pat, I have so, news for you. That's not a rich person dream. That's a that's a rich person base level. So. I understand. <laughs> I know. I don't mean. Okay, sorry. I'm sorry. No, I meant no. Not you the mean dream of a you rich mean person as something. Right, the dream of a poor person thinking they will become rich. About what rich people do is like, oh, I could, I could get a horse. Like this is a person speaking who's probably never, even maybe even come in contact with a horse in their entire life, or if they have, it was probably in passing. Um, Yeah, and it's like I could get a horse. Like I'm gonna get a horse. Like I'm gonna be rich and I'm gonna get a horse. And it's like it's just such a patently absurd. Like why? Why do you want a horse? What? You've just somehow identified a horse at this point as some sort of weird luxury item that you want to. Own. It's very funny to me. Is there a is there a Belmondo movie we've seen where he rides a horse? Because honestly, I can't picture the man riding a horse. I know. I neither can I. <laughs> I cannot. Um, Driving a convertible into the ocean, certainly, certainly, yes, absolutely, one hundred percent. I can picture that man. And that's doing a very rich. Per- that's a very rich person thing to do too. So, but. right, that's true. But the difference is that's non-aspirational. <laughs> right, like, right, right. Like, you don't say, I'm going to get rich and I'm going to drive this car into the ocean. <laughs> I mean, I guess you might. I, but then at that, like that, that, that point, will. that person's dream about becoming rich has, has crossed the threshold into like self-actualization. It's like, I'm going to get so rich that I'm going to get bored with my life and start driving cars right. into the ocean. I'm going to get so ri- I aspire to becoming so rich that I become uh that being rich becomes detrimental to my life. <laughs> exactly. And- exactly. Yeah, like uh, I, I yeah, it's like what a, what a weird level of like self-knowledge. The enti- yeah, following the entire thought line through. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to start doing a lot of drugs. It's really going to be detrimental. My wife's going to leave me. I'm going to drive cars into the ocean. Uh, that horse is probably going to starve to death. I, it's ultimately real bad. ultimately going to commit suicide. So let's get started. I'm going to work my way up. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to be polishing really your floors, sir. I'm going to um, live in my parents' basement because that's how all those articles work on the on the internet. Right. <laughs> so I can I can buy a million dollar house and I can start climbing the ladder towards my eventual death as a result of my own actions. With just a small down payment help of five hundred million dollars from my parents, <laughs> I could start. To, to all buy that all house. it takes, 
All it took was my parents owning a gym mine, <laughs> and I was on my way to making bad choices. And good contracts, man. You got to admit, buying your way into a company with a contract that says you have to call me a founder of this company. <laughs> I know. What a what a thing to do. It's like, um, <laughs> like I just feel like it's like, well, I mean, this is essentially the the the. This is the, that's the the big boy pants version of the non compete clause in a in a housing lease. Uh, yes. Like I'm gonna walk in, I'm gonna walk in. It's like um, you all signed a contract where you have to call me and let me check my paperwork here, Mister Big Dick. Yep, that's right. Um, I don't see you all using my official title. I mean, it we're could gonna be have worse. to have an it HR meeting about this, guys, because some be of the... you are not fulfilling this promise. It could be the idiot mean title, always. Right, right, yeah. That whole paragraph. Yes, absolutely. Like, I mean, it's all this. Like, yeah, you have to call me a fountain. What a. <sighs> uh, and then anyway. how effective that bit of propaganda is with regards to apparently the entire internet. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, man, the man invented electric cars and rocket ships and, like, Whatever you say, I mean, sure. Invents rocket ships by day, drives cars in the oceans by night. <laughs> oh, man. Isn't the Cybertruck meant to be able to drive on the bottom of the ocean? I mean, That's I think the Cybertruck right? is meant to probably never function, based <laughs> on my observations. Uh, it is the most... It is. One of the, I mean, you're gonna have to end up cutting out all Cybertruck commentary because we want to have an audience. You know, we don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> offend any Cybertruck adherents, but uh, boy, that thing! Wow, just yeah. what a what a anyway. piece of work that is. But yeah, you are you are right to to make the connection that uh, that Celian's dream is a very weird middle class dream. It, um, it's it's and, very strange. It is right. And then it just lends to the comedy of it. It's just like, right. all right, dude. Yeah, you want a horse. Okay, great. I mean, whatever. Yeah. Like, like it's it's like, it's a, well, but it's that thing, right? Like, where you, if you have no context for what good life is like, you start right. dreaming up shit that doesn't make sense, actually. Yeah. Like that. Uh... And there's something very comedic and sad about that at the same yeah. time. That Mulaney bit about about uh, Trump being what hobos, what a nineteen twenties cartoon yeah. hobo dreams about being a rich man. Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna have a building so large, and it's gonna have my name and bright lights. I'm gonna have a toilet made out of gold. Exactly. Um, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's it's the same thing, right? And like, right. he just has the same. Uh, he just has the same uh, a version of that same dream, and there's right. something very right. funny, but also very sad about. Yes. It. And it's right, right, which is, you know, again, you know, the entire point of six seasons of Sopranos is that it's absolutely, very funny totally. and sad, actually, well, too. 100%. Right. Like, I have my issues yeah. with Sopranos, but I will I will absolutely right. grant right. that that is the point of that, and it is, it right. is a good point. Yeah. Uh, whereas with The Irishman, it's just sad. It's not It's not actually funny. It's just no, sad. but it's also, it is effective in its... In its, in its Right. Yeah, all that is just a waste of time. Good job. Well, I think we uh, we probably talked this one out enough. No, we've uh, we've gone way overboard. Like this is probably one of the. This is a weird one. 
Yeah, yeah. This is a very fun movie. It's uh, it's interesting that this is this is probably the first Melville film where I've been left looking forward to the next Melville film. Yeah, weird, right? And since it's next week, we will immediately find out oh. whether or not that oh, is misplaced. Oh, it is. Okay. <laughs> I, did, I did not pick up on that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's hopefully uh, we next can week. carry this momentum forward. Next week, we'll be watching Jean-Pierre Melville's 1966 film, Les Ducimes uh, Soufflés, The Second Breath. Uh, literally, I don't actually know it was released in English as, considering this one was released as The Finger Man. Sounds <laughs> 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 like a very, very bad Golden Age uh, Batman rogues gallery guy. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> oh, no. It's The Finger Man. Or it, more, like, more, I guess, like a... a of the tick parody of a Batman Rhodes Gallery guy, like Chairface Chippendales. Uh. Here's what I will say about Batman Rogues Gallery and DC Rogues Gallery in general. Those parodies of it almost never even accomplish what the real things accomplish. Which yeah, is, it's such a thin line of parody when you're already dealing with the, the, Calendar there's Man. There's some DC villains that are just batshit yeah. insane. Like, yeah. Those ones that it's never fair. get remade, you know, as the as the as the series progresses, they never bother to reinvent that one. They're just like, we're just gonna forget about that one. <laughs> right, right. I mean, better better than the ones who they decide to make super dark. I guess. Yeah. Well. But... Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, have we have we reached a point in society where we're ready for silly Batman again? Have we gone through the cycle again? Or is it silly Batman time? Kind of um, is. If you ever the Brave and the Bold is silly Batman and it's very good. Um, oh yeah, I, yeah, I've never in cartoon. Um, but uh, but no, I don't think we are not on uh, a that's unfortunate not on a film level at least because I'm <laughs> definitely ready for some some for some silly Batman. Though Personally. I got uh, a reading of the third Nolan Batman film as uh, complete absurdity. In oh, its, it is. It is absolutely one hundred percent. In its anti-occupy, anti-occupy uh, propaganda portion of it is uh, is something. So yeah, no, there, so there's there's, a, there's definitely a meta a meta comedy to that one for sure. The bad that guys are the guys in Browns jerseys trying to pay rent. That's uh, right. That's totally. I it is it is uh, it is a work of art in that sense. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, anyway. This week we've been talking about Le Doulos, our our possibly favorite Melville film, uh, just from from the get go. Uh, fantastic opening sequence. Yeah, and, I just have uh, to set the right. Just tone, a really, really fun movie. Yeah. yeah, it right, right, and maybe maybe keeping it keeping in mind that tone, we'll ride through the next movie and find out whether or not whether or not we that's a bad choice. Right, next week. yeah, maybe. <laughs> As we talk about Le Doucime Souffle. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I'm as always Liam Glass. With me as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and we will see you next time.
This has been Lost in Criterion. I'm your co-host, Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at TheAdamGlass. My partner is John Patrick Kovatari Dorgan, and you can find him at JPatrickDorgan. Check out more of the show at LostInCriterion.com, or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at Patreon.com slash LostInCriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at JonathanHape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.